I've always had an issue with performative activism. It's the same thing that drove me to depression. Believing people actually cared about my issues and problems and wanted to fix them as well as I did. As much as I did. The problem now is that it was only for clout, uh, for self-gratitude, the applause of others, and you didn't really have to do much. You just had to stand on the right side of history, quote-unquote. You just had to say, racism bad, and we shouldn't stand for it. And because the bar was so low, and the quality uh, has always been so shoddy, People ate it up. I feel now as a better version of myself, more firm, that uh, I hold people accountable now. Now, when I was younger, people would say I was more timid and more moderate, and that was because I was blind in some sense. I was not as uh, willing to say the truth because I didn't want to get on anyone's bad side. But as I realized, enemies will try to do that to you. If you say what is right and what is true and you have people going against you, those are not allies. Now, they might not necessarily be enemies. They can Some can be converted, but if they keep on that mindset, knowing that they're wrong, even when facing the facts, given all the information, given all the uh, right tools to come to the right conclusion and decide that they don't like your answer, they don't like the answer, well then, those are enemies. People would say, now I'm more radical. I'm more uh, willing to fight. My fuse is short, but that's because uh, I've grown tired of explaining. We have all the information. I was able to get the information when I was 12. So I'm 21 now. What is your excuse? We have the same access to Google and, and widespread information, basic facts, basic things. Yes, it's a rabbit hole. There's things you have to uncover, things you got to uh, come to the conclusion, things that aren't spoken, but, you know, you kind of realize two and two. You constantly are fighting with, with these facts. Uh, you're, you're fighting with the facts that there are people that uh, truly don't care and truly don't want to fix things. But you also have to deal with those performative active, uh, activists and those actual genuine uh, allies that might be misguided. I deal with those two every day. I teeter-totter because it's so easy to get caught up. But what I say is if you are actually an ally and truly want to be an ally, you have to come with a sense of patience 
because who you're trying to help is kind of like a wounded animal. They're not, and they're not necessarily attacking you because they want to. They're just so unsure because they've been attacked in the same manner before. They don't know your intentions. They want to know your intentions. They want it to be good, but if they let their guard down, they could die. And it's out of pure fear. Performative activists are on one of the top three of the worst enemies you can have. Because they believe themselves to be friends. They believe themselves. They even trick themselves believing that they're actually doing good. And they, they have a semi-following of uh, brainwashed and of uh, centralist and uh, of whoever. They would have mixed races. So it's not just one race. They would bring uh, people who also want popularity and also want to do the least for the most. I would say celebrities and uh, influencers. That's usually their base. Someone who wants to take a picture and say, this is so sad and watch their views and followings go up. But when it comes to the dirt, getting in the mud, getting dirty, heck, even dying, they're nowhere to be seen. Formative activism is a cancer on anything it touches. It's only for mere clout. It's used. And it's even worse for black people. We've been struggling so long and struggling so hard. And all it takes is one performative activist, uh, activist to come aboard and try to unravel. Now, the, the truth is, it always stays firm, but perception of that always unravels. Now, if you're not a true ally, you would think it unravels. If you know something is right, the strength of it is always going to be there. It's, it's always going to be tied. Now, media perception, enemies using that to advantage, will always make it seem like it weakened. To give an example, it's like uh, we're Black Lives Matter. We are uh, a group, an activist group. We are just trying to uh, protect ourselves. Let it be known that black lives do truly matter. Let's say that an influencer like uh, Kim Kardashian, a celebrity, Let's say that she says she's pro-Black Lives Matter. Now, let's say she does something racy or controversial. And let's say a, a certain enemy with a newscast, you know, says, Oh, Kim Kardashian ran nude through the street. Is this what Black Lives Matter is about? She's an ally of yours. You do have to understand when you support us, when you are a heavy activist of Black Lives Matter, your actions do carry weight. I'm not saying censor yourself, but just 
do realize that. And if you're doing things only for clout chasing and then just tie yourself to us, you don't truly understand the movement. We're not trying to say, don't be silly, don't be goofy, heck, not even saying don't get into trouble. We're saying we want to live without being prosecuted, without having extreme force put on us every single day. And you're that very thing. Everyone wants to be down for the black cause until it's time to get down for the black cause. She would like to come to the marches. She would like to come to the uh, cookout. And she would like to eat with us. But as soon as the dishes are getting thrown, as soon as it's time to wash the dishes, clean up the tables, time to, to walk the dog, or you know... It's, it's time to go to the funerals. And carry the bodies. And there's no pictures. There's no profit. They're nowhere to be seen. Those performative activists are nowhere to be seen. They like to show up, take a picture, and then leave. They believe that them, they themselves are just and right because they uh, brought awareness to it. But awareness can only go so far because black people have been aware for so long. Oh, you're bringing awareness to the white community? What are you bringing? This happens. Ooh, boo-hoo. Go over there and show your support. So you can get clout too? What is the point of 2 million views if only 100,000 actually truly care and want to do something? What is the point of getting informed if it's only the tidbit and you don't want to get further informed, educated. It just seems to me that it was just all a game. At least those other races make themselves known. They stand with their aggression. And I say I can deal with an honest racist than a um, subtle racist, a systematic racist, because it's basically what they are. They don't believe that we are their equal. They just don't want to, to see us beaten. They want us to be beaten. They just don't want to see us beaten. They feel that uh, they don't want to bloody their shoes. They don't want their clothes splattered with our blood. Because they essentially profit off of racism as well. They just say they don't like it. How can you say you don't like racism and then sit there as a CEO of a company that, that thrives on labor from other races and impoverished companies? Support bills and uh, legislation that uh, hurts us. How can you not talk about the policing system, the past that has happened that still continues to affect us today, not even holding anyone accountable, still claiming Ronald Reagan was one of the best presidents, still claiming um, the war on drugs 
was a racist ploy. Not acknowledging those things that are very commonly known in the black community, pushing them off as uh, radical rhetoric and pushing it off like we don't know what we're talking about. We've just been hurt so bad and saying that we're crazy. We, the sterilization of the black community, the, um, heck, the AIDS epidemic. People giving us syphilis and trying to stop us from breeding. And then wondering why we're crazy. You know, we, we talk about the obvious things. Oh, police brutality. They, they make one law and they, they change one regulation and they now enforce this. But then, bam, you think your job is done. Black Lives Matter is not a trend. People treat it like a trend. It's not a trend. It's not something that just dies off. It's not like, oh, wow. Ooh. And I feel that racists use that like, oh, it's a trend. Black people are hashtag Black Lives Matter. I don't believe it's a trend. I, I never acted like it was a trend. Just because your cousin and because your sister acted like it was a trend, like that was a way to get back at dad, doesn't mean it's a trend. It's not always a tit for tat either. I constantly see this uh, this uproar of Black Lives Matter. Is, uh, sorry, I lost my train. That Black Lives Matter is used as a falling back point. That Black Panthers are terrorists. It, that's the important. That black, uh, black Panthers are terrorists equal to the KKK, and they're not. They're not. Black Panthers may be radical, but that is a, a correct response to radical things that happen. I'm tired of acting like it's not. I'm tired of acting like someone can burn, rape, beat, kill your kids, uh, your family, your livelihood, take your money, and you're supposed to be like, guys, can't we settle this peacefully? Why do we always have to be peaceful? And why can't we say what is true? I am scared of white people. Not every white person I meet, you know, I sit there and terrify and shake and shudder, but I do always recognize the damage that they can do to me. Some of the things that they can do to me, I, I think the worst thing is when I see a 16, 17 year old white girl, maybe even 15, you know, like around those age range, because they know exactly what they're doing. You know, I, I, I don't have a conversation, I don't stand too close, especially being in a room by ourselves. I will immediately leave. I will, I will immediately leave. If I, if I need to, like, if I know there's no cameras and, like, I will not have a conversation, I will not hold anything, I will not look. And the reason why is because white people like to say a big black man can kill their kids, rape their kids, something, you know, kidnap them, you know, do something. True. It, that's true. But a 16-year-old white girl. She can 
take everything from your family. She can accuse you of an act you didn't do. And no one would believe you. Uh, even if the black community believes you, know, believes you, it doesn't matter. The law is in the white man's court. So you would go to jail. You could get beat by anyone, police officers or whatever. Uh, you can get your name dragged through the mud. You could lose your ability to see your kids. You can have your name tarnished and dragged through the mud. You know, your family wouldn't have the ability to eat because you're the breadwinner, they can destroy your family, they can, uh, they can destroy college scholarships, they can ruin chances, not only for you, but your entire bloodline, your kin. And, and it would be treated like it's normal, having that much power, destroying people. That is my problem, that the, the balance is so unequal, that it's not saying that I can kill you or you can kill me. No, I can shoot a bullet, you can drop a nuke. How is that even remotely fair? And the back to this, think, okay, we added one more button before they can send the nuke. We did it, guys. Clap, 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 clap. And it's so idiotic. It's mind-boggling that they think that they have achieved something. That they think because they hold a Black Lives Matter flag while through, um, heck, even tear gas and stuff. They, they think that, okay, that's it. They experience pain. They know exactly what. Let me tell you. How do you know you're not a performative activist? You're there every day. You don't post it. You don't have to, to say you can, you can post things about it, but you know, that's that's not your main goal. You're not sitting there trying to get on the outskirts, take a snap real quick, take an Instagram pic, and then get back out there on the field. No, you're, you see the pain and the struggle. Your whole thing is how cute you look when you're going to the movement. You got an issue. You're if you're not willing to step back and say, I'm here for every supporting role in this black struggle, in this struggle for humanity, basically. Because this isn't just for black people. Black people are leading it because black people have dealt with it so long. But they know that it's not just about them. It's for everyone. Because uh, the truth is, when black people achieve, everyone achieves. Black people are always seeing as the least desired. We are always the underdog in every story because black has always been seen ugly and not in just the white people's case, but in other races. We always it's always a struggle to seem beautiful. It's always a struggle to seem attractive. We are either fetishized to the extreme or despised, but never just seen as human, just, okay, romanticized, even, like, heck, I, I would settle for romanticized and fetishized or despised. I know romanticized is not good either, but it's definitely way less than either of those can be. 
I say that we, as black people, we set the standard, basically. The ability to to walk for other races sometimes. Not, not in every case, damn it. I won't say African American. I won't say um, Africans either. I'm just saying the darker of every single race, there are dark Asians, there are uh, darker Europeans, there are, are darker French people, you know, black people around the world, people with curly hair, with wider noses, with, uh, yeah, you know, darker, more melanated skin than their counterparts, and then we're always struggling in those spots that, um, love those European features that adore them, that say that is the beauty standard. And me personally, I, I guess maybe I grew out of that phase. I don't think that I, I see a very fine, beautiful white woman, you know, I'm like, okay, it's good. I'm not saying that I would not be attracted to a white woman. I'm just saying that I don't find the hype as um, enticing as uh, some of my counterparts. Like, I see it, I'm like, wow. Okay, she just looks like a average or slightly above average girl. But they play on their white skin so much that it's just like, I could see the ugliness. That they believe that to be a positive feature instead of just a regular feature of their their body. And you can kind of see it and hear it. I feel and and I know someone might think, don't black people do that? You know, play on being black as uh, as an empowering feature. And I'll explain the difference. Black people have been degraded so long and said that their skin is so ugly that our self-esteem has gotten so low that we we have to remind ourselves that we are beautiful and our black, black skin is beautiful. We're not doing it because uh, we're that pompous or arrogant. We're not sitting around. Like, we have to pump our pride up basically, with the truth, it is, it is beautiful, it is, uh, like a beautiful aroma, it's, it's a breath of fresh air, to remind people that our skin is beautiful, not for arrogance, but for the sake of stability, because we are so low, and been pushed so low, that no one ever just says, wow, it's like, for, for years, for many years, I never took care of myself. Past the basics of hygiene, I would bathe, I would brush my teeth, I would uh, put on clean clothes, but I never moisturized my skin. I never moisturized my lips. I would never uh, really touch my hair. I would just let it grow because I didn't believe I could match any style like my white counterpart. Uh, I hated my cowlicks, I hated um, everything, like I wouldn't shave and wouldn't get haircuts. I would wash my hair 
like my hair was always dry, so I just like, what's the point of washing it? I didn't do anything past the basic maintenance of a human being. And that's what, uh, what was wrong. I wasn't really ugly, I just didn't take care of myself. You know, I only did things that I knew my white counterparts would do. Like, oh, my white counterparts don't need to put on lotion in the morning. I don't need to put on lotion. You know, dry skin, uh, flaking hair, you know, all this stuff. And then I started to take care of myself. I started to look better. My self-esteem was better. You know, I was like, you know what? Yes, I have dark skin. That's just who I am. That's part of it. It looks good. It's not an ugly feature. My hair is just like this. I don't have Eurocentric features. Uh, my physique is built like my physique. Some some people would say, "Oh, he has a really good physique," and I I, I would appreciate it. And that is my genetics. Those are things naturally gifted to me. And I'm not sitting there arrogant about it. I, I'm proud because I put in work for that physique, not just dealing with my genetics. I was just proud because it's something that I worked on and I just had. And I tell women that their skin is beautiful. I, I tell myself that my skin is beautiful because I was so low. I don't act cocky. I don't go, my skin is better than yours. I say my skin is beautiful. I show pride in my skin color. The white counterpart. No one is degrading them. In fact, they are praising them for something that is just purely genetic. They didn't really work for it. It wasn't like you had to do something. You just were born. And I've seen people act like it's God's gift. They are God's gift because they had white skin. And yes, they, they do take care of themselves. They do higher maintenance and they, they believe that it's the white skin that, that makes that high maintenance worth it. It's like, I have to, you know, I, I, I'm beautiful because of that. You know, you moisturize, you, you uh, clean, you, you do the right maintenance. Yes, you will look good every day. You wear clean clothes, you wear outfits that match, you have enough to eat, you have enough, uh, you have enough time to go to bed and drink enough clean water. You have access to these things, and you're not discriminated. So you, you're able. You're also able to have fun, do something stupid, but not like that, ruin your entire life. Heck, you're you're able to get away with a lot of things that your black counterpart is not willing to get away, uh, not able to get away with, because, uh, because of their skin color. You know, you're speeding and. A cop pulls you over and just lets you off with a warning. A normal teen activity. Now, we, we treat that like white skin is a God-given ticket. Like, so beautiful. So divine. But honestly, it's just perception. If I would say if rules were reversed, it could be the exact same thing just with black people, but it's not. If we had the same mindset, yeah, it could be. 
real quick, I'm going to kind of get off subject. I'm going to talk about a uh, certain Family Guy episode that I watched, and it really made my mind, it made a mindset of mine kind of come forth. Now, I didn't watch the full episode because uh, I was kind of disgusted. I'm not sure how it ended, and I'm not sure if they even brought it up. But it was basically this episode where Stewie and Brian traveled to the past. They gave Native Americans weapons and made America filled with Native Americans. And the issue that they had was white people weren't in there. They they changed the whole way of life. Um, it was basically a Native American stereotype. And they treated it like it was a dystopia. They treated it like it was wrong for Native Americans to have their own land. Again, I didn't watch the whole thing. This was my take because I was just like, I was irritated because they were so willing to change it back. And my whole idea was why. Will I watch the rest of the episode? Yes, I would get back. But I'm pretty sure, and this is my, my naked take, pretty sure that it, it was seen as a bad thing. They wanted to change it back because they missed the white counterparts. They believed that it wasn't like uh, the quahog it once was. But I, I have a question. Why is that bad to to help people continue to have their own land. Yes, we have reached a point of multiculturalism and gotten very good uh, inventions because of that afterwards. But there was so much pain that came from it, unnecessary too. I feel that uh, people justify pain because of inventions and growth later on. They basically saying that, oh, we we have all these great inventions because Nazi scientists tested on human subjects, burned them, like chemically burned them, tortured them, uh, cut their limbs off, uh, reacted to things, and now we have these products. Wow. And and heck, let me. I mean, I even start with the Japanese and their horrible just experience, uh, experiments. It was just terrible. And, and we still don't really even talk about it just because of, you know, the fact that Japanese history is kind of, you know, swept under the rug. We, we act like these events... You know, like the uh, the ends justify the means. I think that, that's the best way to say it. the ends justify the means. But they don't. They really don't. And that is a horrible, inhumane way of looking at it. I believe we could have gotten these um, same results. Just if. Everyone was allowed and everyone had access to the same thing. Now, I'm not saying some things wouldn't have happened without inhumane means. I'm not saying that. But on such a large scale, 
we decided to instead all work together to try to find this this kind of cause to come up with misconceptions about races, come up with inaccurate causes of science. Believe a lot of scientists and doctors believe that black people have tougher skin for some reason. Like our skin is thicker than our white counterparts. If you, if any doctor or scientist came in with that mindset and tried to experiment on something, believing that we had tougher skin, you're going to come out with the wrong conclusion anyway. Now, if you kept with that idea and kept doing things based on that, that misconception and that wrong idea, well, now you have a lot of dead black people because uh, you, the doctor thought we were some bulletproof to 22. That's basically what you were saying. It is insane to think like that. Millions of people probably died from misconceptions. You know, people went to war for oil, believing that uh, the entire Middle East was against us. Believing that um, the Middle East killed their brother when it was their own government. I'm constantly tired of hearing about Veterans Day and then not doing things to ensure our veterans don't come back the same way previous veterans did. I say after the Vietnam War, the only thing that really changed is the fake gratitude military gets. They saw the terrible things, they hadn't misplaced uh, their hate. Now, I'm not saying people didn't hate the uh, the government, Nixon, and all that. I'm saying that it was a forced patriotism towards soldiers. The soldiers got hate too, but that was because uh, they were like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you try to escape? Why didn't you move to Canada? Why didn't you change your life? Because some people joined because they had no other option. Some people joined because they they didn't think that their government would betray them that way. Some people joined believing that there was a true enemy, like in World War Two. It's just it's horrible. Yeah, and then people were mistreated, yes. People got called baby killers and all that. And they they got degraded. So when you see military personnel, we are now trained. We are, are trained to support them. Trained to say, hey, uh, thank you for your service, even if their service uh, resulted in, in deaths innocent deaths. And I think subtly we, we agree with that because we understand that soldiers and military personnel alike, they or us just in uniform. They might have not done that had uh, 
situation's been different had they had enough money, had they had uh, enough resources, had they um, had access to education. They were doing what, what the best they had. They had very little options and chose the option that um, that many would have taken or taken uh, had they been in the same shoes. Some people go into the military trying to get out of debt. Some people go into the military trying to get an education. Some people are trying to get a head start in life. Basic needs need to be met. And that's why people join the military. And the fact of it is, I'm kind of saddened when I see a, a forced influx of uh, military getting used as props, basically. Saying I support the troops, just because you're you're not kissing the ass of the troops doesn't mean you don't support the troops. I support them, though I'm not gonna say that every day. I'm not going to be like I support the troops. I support the I support the people who become troops. I make sure when they stop becoming the soldier when they when they take off that uniform, that the people that they're fighting for are actually taken care of, so they're fighting for something that actually matters. And I make sure when they take, you know, like, if they don't have to ever take that uniform and put it on, I'm making sure that they have the access to that life, so the only people that actually put on that uniform are the right people. I'm not just going to put a mass amount of people in the uniform because there's crazy people in the troops. I'm not going to give them, uh, give a sailor or a soldier or a marine a crazy battle buddy. The guy shooting next to him doesn't care who he hits. He can hit his own brothers and he wouldn't care because the military said, just kill. Anyone else is replaceable. I'm not going to give them an insane person, a person that doesn't care that they are human, a person that would rape another person for the sake of, uh, and get away with it because uh, they want to save face. I would not give somebody who would put them in harm's way like that and put other people in harm's way. If the uniform is supposed to show respect and show honor, it's, it's say that not everyone should be able to wear it. And being the lar one of the largest militaries. <coughs> it says there are way too many people that are wearing that that aren't fit. And I noticed that we come out with rules and regulations, UCMJs, things to keep those uh, military personnel in line, to make sure that they're not going crazy. But it also hinders the ones that aren't doing something wrong or aren't doing something necessarily uh, immoral from actually doing their job properly. So you, you basically put the clamps down on everyone and tie them to the same standard, even if it's lowered and degraded. If you are actually doing something morally right and having the right people, you wouldn't need to put these, all these rules in place. Because it would be commonly known. If you're picking the right people, those things wouldn't really happen.
Now, I understand protecting and covering your own ass because there are times where something sleeps, slips up. But at the same time, if your job can entail how to do everything right step by step, every movement, what you should do, and in every specific detail, it says somebody has fucked up so many times that they are now babying you. And if I didn't, I don't want to see our military baby to do a job. And I understand there's people that are not necessarily bad at them that doesn't understand their job. But then that says, why are they put in that job in the first place? If they can't comprehend, can't learn, and can't change to adapt to that job, then what does it say? Are you putting the right people in the right job, or are you just putting bodies in that job and saying learn? If having a normal life and having a decent life is only obtained by either being born rich or putting your life on the line for X amount of years, it says, is that place really a first world country? Is that place really worth living? Why do we have to fight so hard for basic means? We have a, a system that you have to literally pay the government to marry and divorce. Now, I understand acknowledging, like, legally having paperwork to say, hey, I want to marry this person. Or, hey, um, you know, I don't want to marry this person anymore. I can understand doing things like the government has to okay you, you're filing together fine but you spend x amount of money like a lot of money like i, I believe a divorce at the minimum and that, that's at the minimum in california is 435 dollars with no problems no issues completely um you both decided you don't want to be together and you've already worked out um, who gets what minimum. You have to pay so much. $435. I would say $35 to hey, take, take me off whatever list you have for doing that. We're no longer together. Fishing license. Um, we, we have to register the the type of gun, the style, this and that. I understand gun control, knowing which per, what gun a person has, why that person has it. I understand that not everyone can have full auto, and I understand certain uh, reasons, but the fact of it is, some of it is unnecessary. Some of it is pushed by people who don't really understand. I was once in Illinois, and the issue with gun control in Illinois is that they don't want you to have a gun legally. It doesn't matter. I couldn't go to a shooting range without uh, this right, uh, right firearm registration. I needed an FOID card. A FOID card, a federal arms uh, registration card. I, I don't remember. 
with the acronym, but the basic gist of it is me, 21 years old. Hey, can I go to a shooting range, rent a gun, and shoot? We can't do that. You had to have an FID card. Me with my Marine brother. Neither one of us had an FID card. Uh, no, we can't. We can't shoot guns. Now, it just baffled me. I tried to get my FID card, and I know it's during a, pan a pandemic, so things are, are different, but the fact of it is, there was no number to call. It went all the way directly to Washington. There was no number to call in Chicago. There weren't many branches that I could call from in my own place to get it faster. I couldn't get my gun faster, and then they wonder why people turn to illegal means. The reason why they turn to illegal means is because uh, it is not quick enough. It's not reasonable enough. You put a person in, in a dangerous place and say, okay, this is a way to arm yourself and protect yourself, but the only way to, to do that is wait three months. Now, if someone tells you to wait three months to get food, to get shelter, and to, to get clean water. And then their, their only uh, way of surviving that is basically saying, hey, just survive, just survive for those three months and then you get access to that. Someone told you right now, get out your home. We don't care where you go, just uh, survive for three months. And then you can get all the access to that. You, you you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't sign your, your rights away like that. You would say, you know what, instead of doing that, I'm going to illegally get a gun so I can protect myself. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to follow your three-month rule. I'm going to live in this house, and I'm, I'm just not going to, to care. I'm going to set up a generator. I'm going to squat. I'm going to do whatever to survive because you clearly don't care about my survival you would rather see me die than uh, survive is it about protection or is it about uh you wanting to see people die now i know other places other places their reasoning it's like okay there's a 10 day waiting period for uh, a firearm which, honestly, I can understand. Ten days, maybe you're mad today, you get a gun, you plan on killing someone, you plot on something. Ten days gives you time to cool off. But waiting weeks, waiting months, um, following to federal armed uh, standards in every case, like you, you can't have this without a firing pin and this. and It says... Someone could kill a lot of people with uh, with any modified gun. If you were really about it, you you would see these killers just come up with an AK. They would bring it from a different state. They would just buy it illegally and do these things. I understand people snapping, but I don't think that would, would stop um, somebody from truly going through with it. At least for me, I don't believe uh, these people, some of these politicians truly care about looking at 
at the whole scope. I don't believe that they really truly care about needs and and wants, needs versus wants, and safety versus pleasure. I'm not, I don't want a gun-toting America. I don't want to see people walking around with a rifle around their neck, uh, just walking, oh, well, it's an open carry state now. Uh, look, I don't want that. I say someone should have the right to, to have their arms. Like, if they want, if you want to have a rifle in the car, fine, you can have a rifle in the car. It just says that the fact of it, as long as it's put up safely, as long as it's taken care of, I feel that we should have the right to bear arms. But, at the same time, if you live in a safe place, you know what you're not going to do? Just have your gun out. You're not going to walk around the streets with a gun. There, there was this uh, white child, that, our young white adult, who had a rifle and he was in full military garb, even though he'd never served, walking around patrolling, quote-unquote, a neighborhood because it was legal. And it, it made people feel unsafe. And that, that's what I mean. You, you think if you live in a safe enough place, you think uh, you, you would walk around with a rifle? You think you would even think about walking around with a rifle all day? No, if you lived in a safe enough place, you, you wouldn't need to have a gun on you at all times. You just believe, I know where my gun is at. I know that my gun is near my person. If something were to happen, let's say animal attacks or something, or, you know, just as a deterrent. But I don't want to carry a gun fully loaded, 5.56, rounds, burst, automatic, semi-fire. You don't, it doesn't matter. You wouldn't need that. People should have access to firearms. Heck, firearms can be fun because if, if you think about it, if we just gave, if America just changed and said, okay, you can only have these three selections of guns, you know, it, yes, it would necessarily get the job done, but it, it ruins the, the sport. There are things that you just, hey, I, I just want to see how this gun fires, and this one has a higher speed, and this one has a lower speed. It's it's like a collection. Yes, anything can be dangerous in the wrong hands. A car can be dangerous. A truck can be dangerous. Heck, but it's the, it's the fact of different class. It's a uniqueness that makes the experience fun. But also shouldn't just be only um, for the ones that can like a few, it shouldn't only be for a few. I feel like Chicago people, black people, should be able to get guns as well and should be promoted to buy firearms and shoot firearms and train on firearms. Because when you see a black man with a gun, you immediately think gang violence for some reason. You see a white man with a gun, you see a collector. So why can he be 